Welcome to another edition of Packy Chat, episode number 17. Before we get into it this week, we have a couple of announcements. First and foremost, uh, if you're interested in supporting us, uh, we are now on Patreon. <clears throat> Check out patreon.com backslash packychat, where you can uh, find out how to be a supporter of us. Uh, also, we now offer okay, some Packy Chat swag. Uh, we have t-shirts and stickers if you want to support us that way. Go to the Facebook page, check out uh, how to purchase the shirts and stickers. And again, none of this stuff is to make us rich. All we want to do is try to cover some cost of the expenses of running the, the uh, podcast, the equipment we use to record, the space we record it on so that everybody can hear it. Uh, that all costs money. But again, if uh, you don't want to support us in that way, that's cool. What you could do is just tell your friends. Uh, get some followers for us. We'd appreciate it, and that uh, that supports us enough. That makes us happy uh, just knowing that people are out there spreading the word about us. Uh, if you want to hear any specific topics going forward or any comments about anything you heard, you can reach out to us on Facebook or uh, send us an email at peckychatpodcast at gmail.com. We'll get back to you pretty quick or uh, use that feedback you give us to kind of improve podcasts going forward. So this week... It was just the four of us. We have no guest to talk about restraints. It was a message we received, I believe, off of Facebook. Somebody that uh, asked us about uh, use of restraints, uh, perception of restraints, methods of restraint, I guess all things restraint. So we took the time this week to, you know, kind of talk about that stuff a little bit. So without, without any more of me babbling, let's get into it. But I think that, you know, when um, when most of us started working with elephants, um, restraints was viewed differently than they are today. Um, I think when I first started, it was considered, um, you know, a tool that sometimes needs to be uh, utilized to care better for our elephants. And I remember, you know, in the first getting into this, um, into this field, going to visit other zoos, going to conferences, um, it didn't seem to really be much of an issue um, and the only time it's discussed is, you know, hey, how do you do it? You know, um, looking for better, better methods in order to do that. But somewhere along the ways, um, that perception has changed. I'm not sure exactly when it was and the exact vehicles that it did change at, but it is now not only viewed as a, in some way, negative for um, you know, our detractors or people outside the industry, but we're starting to see that same perception creep into the industry. I think, I think restraint is a, is a tool. And, you know, we, we, we're going to talk about it in the, in the context of elephants, but I mean, any of us that have been working with animals for any length of time knows that there's a certain level of restraint that goes into the appropriate and responsible management of any animal. So, I mean, if you take your dog to the vet and the vet, you know, the vet tech holds it while the, while the other one takes blood, or if you have a drop full of shoot for antelope, or if you have a leash for your dog, whatever, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that, you know, in, there are times where restraint is necessary in animal management, period. Restraints, as we're going to discuss them with elephants, just happen to be one of the ways we do it, whether it's a shoot or whether it's, you know, um, ropes, chains, straps, etc. That, I mean, that's, it's just, to me, it's just part of, the, the part of the game, part of the whole gamut of things that we need to be able to do. And, 
you know, as far as the negativity is concerned, I think, you know, I've said this before that, you know, there's a lot of talented trainers in, in the zoo business and the, and certainly in the elephant business. And I think that the responsibility is on all of us to, to, to train, to train it appropriately so that it's not negative and, and to, to discuss it and message it so that it, it's not negative from a, from a perception um, either from, either from other humans or, or from the animals. So that said, um, I think we can train anything to be, to be positive if trained appropriately. And, and, you know, you just make it a normal thing, you know, like I've, and I've also said in the past that, you know, animals are not, it's not like, like, you know, elephants are afraid of mice and ropes. Like that's not how it is. Right. You, you, you develop a, a history, you develop the association with some of these tools. And I think it's our responsibility, our duty. And I think we have the ability to make sure that we can do that. And it's absolutely no big deal. And then at the end of it, all you really have is another tool that allows you to take better care of your animals, period. Right. Because like the, the animal doesn't like, it doesn't know that tethers are bad, right? Restraints are bad. And I, I had somebody say that to me one time. They're like, oh, you know, tethers are so bad for the elephants. And I said, for you or for them? Because if, you, if you're a good trainer, if you think it's such a negative experience, like train it to be a positive experience. Make the elephant want to go on the tethers. That's what we all do. You know, they, they'll come over and put their foot up without us even asking, you know? And I think that's the that's the part that people are missing is they anthropomorphize that it's such a bad thing for the elephant. One, the elephant doesn't even know what it is and or care. But two, like if you train it correctly, you can make that a really, really positive, engaging experience for the animal. And there's no negative consequences to it at all. Well, I've, I've said in the past, obviously, you, you could train the elephant to put it on themselves. It doesn't, it doesn't, yeah. elicit, it doesn't elicit some biological response like when you put a you know, a, you know, a, a fake owl in your garden to keep the, you know, to keep the birds out or, or to keep the rabbits out. It, it doesn't do that. You know, just like, just like when you try to, you know, create what a, what a bridge is, you load the, you load the meaning onto a bridge. You also load the meaning onto these other things. And so if you do it properly and you do it right with the, with the appropriate goal and, and frankly, a goal in mind, it's, it's no problem. Absolutely no problem. And like I said, then all you have at the end is, is yet another tool, an appropriate tool to, uh, you know, to, to help manage your, your elephants. I mean, if we could do, if we could tie them up with pink yarn and everybody felt better about it, we, that'd be fine, but that's not the appropriate tool for the job. Right. So I think, like I said, I think with all the trainers that we have and, and all, everything we know about elephants, elephant management and everything up to this point, there's no reason why, frankly, I don't think this is, a, there's a reason why this should even be a, uh, a conversation anymore. One, because we know that it's, it, it, it's helpful and useful. And the other thing is because it's now part of the AZA standards, frankly. I mean, and I don't think, I don't think there's really too many controversial things in the standards that I would, you know, anything in any management manuals or anything else that I would pull out and say is controversial. I'm not really sure why this is. And, and, and again, right. I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to overplay that this is some huge controversy because it's not, but we certainly do hear, you know, now and again, when we start talking about this subject that people do get a little uncomfortable with it, but frankly, I, I, I'm not sure why. Right. And the thing about, for me, is like, there's equivalent things that happen with other species at zoos every single day that nobody bats an eye at. Right. Um, you know, I don't know much about snakes or anything like that, but tubing a snake, what's the difference, you know, uh, catching up a, a gazelle, what's the difference, you know? So those are the things that, that I go to is 
whatever is equivalent at the zoo that other departments are doing, nobody nobody bats an eye because that's how they that's how you manage the animals, right? Well, like that's yeah, exactly. That's what I said. I mean, there's in in managing animals and animals under our care. Again, whether it's your dog, your cat, your hamster, this tube and a snake, whatever. Restraint is a part of animal management, and I think there's there's good ways to do it, and there's less effective and maybe not so good ways to do it. Um, but it's all part of it. Um, but you know, you said something earlier that you know it's our job to. Um, you know, make it not a bad thing, you know, like how we explain it, how we, how we talk about it or whatever, but it, you know, I think guests have a better time understanding it than some people in our own field do. You know, there's definitely people in the business that are opposed to it. And I, that's the thing. I just don't understand why, you know, the guides and, and that stuff, I, I get it. I get why they're opposed to it. The restraints, I just, I don't understand it. I think well, one, of my, one of my guesses is at the beginning, you know, just the concept of having, you know, let's say a chain or something, the optics of it doesn't look good. But I think a lot of it sliding into is that we can train our elephants uh, to be a very positive experience. They want to be on there. But what about the times where um, as, as routine it is and as reinforcing it is for the elephant, there's times where the elephant may want to be off those restraints. I think that a lot of the, um, you know, resistance to that is now the elephant doesn't have an option to leave the situation and they don't have the choice to leave the situation. And I'm wondering if that's probably a lot of issue as well. You know, when I look at that is that, okay, conceptually, I get it. And conceptually, you know, there's an elephant that for whatever reason, you know, someone drops something in the bar, something happens and the elephant does not want to be in that situation anymore. There's some strong philosophies out there that the elephant should have the ability to remove itself from that situation. Um, with that philosophy, I question whether if that's the best thing for the elephant. First of all, we may not have the option. Um, it could be life or death. There could be a serious medical condition the animal has to stay on it. But quite honestly, I wonder if we'd be doing our due diligence and better for the animal is it that we work through those situations, even though there may be on restraints and they decide they don't want to be on that. Is it not a better um, resilient elephant if they learn to adapt and deal with a little bit of controversy in their life and deal with a little, for lack of a better word, stress and make them stronger on the other end? They might not realize that's important for them to be on these restraints to get this life-saving medical thing. But are we also doing them a favor by always just saying, oh, you want, you don't want to be here? Okay, off you go. Is it not better to um, teach them to work through that with us? Well, in my experience, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. However, in my experience, there's never, uh, you know, there's a lot of pre-work that goes into what you would use these restraints for, you know, if, if the chips were down. Under normal circumstances, you know, there's plenty, you know, you're, you're laying out in a very fair way what is happening when an elephant is participating in all kinds of training, regardless of what it is, whether it's a blood draw, foot care, um, use of tethers, whatever it is, going in a shoot or that sort of thing. There, there's a huge amount of information and, a, and almost a, a process that's learned so that the animal knows that when they choose this, it's not, a, it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, there, there are times in my career where we've done things, you know, we had an elephant that had a chronic um, wound that we had to care for um, over the course of many years that was the result of a, of a um, vestibulotomy. We had to remove a, 
a, a dead calf from this elephant. And, and we had to do a lot of care on this wound for many, actually years. And there were many times where once we got done doing things with her, I'm like, well, that's the end of that. She's not coming in this shoot again, or she's not going to allow us to do this or that again. And ne never, ever, ever once did she balk on any of it. And that's not because she enjoyed what we were doing. She certainly probably did not, but she understood that this is, you know, I, I can choose that this is a safe choice. I can still choose this. Um, and it, it, it made the situation safer for us and for her. And at the end of it, even though some unpleasant things happened, it, it wasn't anything that overrode all of the positive history and, and you know, the, I guess the good things that came out of it or the associations that she built with the, with, the, with the numerous types of restraint that we used at certain times. So that's, I mean, that's the, what I alluded to earlier is coming up with a plan and the goal and figuring out how to get that accomplished. Because once you do that, and once you load that meaning onto these, you know, tools, and once you create a situation that they understand, a sit, you know, you create, you sort of outline the whole situation and here's what's in it for you and here's what happens and you're, you know, and I say, I don't want to anthropomorphize, but you're honest about it and you, and you do expose them to certain things and it's not really a surprise. There's no, and, and, and obviously we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but even the way you train these animals when they're young or the initial exposure to these tools, there's never a reason to have, a, you know, to fear it or have a problem with it. Most of the time, you know, it's like, you know, I always tell people, if you incorporate it at very benignly into your existence, there's never a reason to, to question it. So, you know, every, every time I've ever had the flu was a day I brushed my teeth, right? So can I draw those two parallels together? No, I never would because I brush my teeth twice a day, every day. If you, if you incorporate tethers into an elephant's routine on a regular basis, on the day that something questionable happens, it's less about the tethers is just, oh, well, that was, that was interesting or that was different. I didn't really like that, but it's not associated with the necessarily with the tools that you've used on a given day in conjunction with that, because you've done it so many other times without any negative experiences along with it, that it's not really a big deal. So that's, again, it's, it's sort of our responsibility to layer in these tools we know are necessary at some point in time in such a benign routine way that when we do have to do something where, you know, like Bern, you were talking about, you know, a situation where they're like, I'm not really cool with this. I mean, they've made the decision to participate because of so much positive history and so much groundwork that's been laid prior that, like I said earlier, is that normally it doesn't even affect their, their ability to want to participate the next time. Well, and I think also you hit on this a little bit, but the safety aspect, you know, I, I think a lot of people miss that, you know, they just see the tethers and the training and things like that, but it makes our lives a lot safer, both the elephant and ours. You know, if you're doing a procedure or something and the animal, you don't have to worry about a kick or them moving in a certain direction that you don't want them to. Um, it makes, it just makes it a safer situation. So I think that's something that people don't think about, but that's a big factor in why we should tether animals in, in medical situations or things like that um, to make sure everybody's safe. But not only that, what you alluded to earlier was that, you know, there are times where, the, you know, if it's a life and death situation, I, I don't want them to choose to, to do certain things. There, there comes a point in time, you know, and it's not, thankfully, it's not frequently, it hasn't been frequently in my experience, but there are times I do need you to stay put. And it's no different than, than you know, the vet tech doing the basket hold on your dog so they can get a blood sample to find out why it's sick or whatever. And, and 
you don't say, oh, well, the dog doesn't want to be here. Let it, let it kind of go away. There are times where you, you do need an elephant to, in, or, or any animal to be still while you do something. And, and that helps us be able to do that in the most safe and appropriate way possible. I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. We all, you know, we all talk about, you know, we wish, we wish, you know, everything was, you know, life was candy and nuts all the time. It's not, it's not how it is. So if you, if it's candy and nuts 99.9% of the time, and it's can and it's, and it's a good time when you have those, you know, tools and tethers and things like that, when, when the chips down, you don't start getting worried that, uh-oh, here come the tethers, something bad's going to happen. Like I told you, it's, I don't fear brushing my teeth because I'm feeling like I'm going to get sick just because, you know, those two things were some weird coincidence or whatever. It's, it's not, you know, I, you know, I give elephants a lot of credit for being smart, but if they draw the parallel between something they do 364 days a year and on the 365th, 365th day, we did, you know, whatever, a wound care or, or, you know, an eye stain or did something to a wound, I, I can't imagine that they would put those two things together. So, you know, let me throw a scenario out at you guys. Um, somebody says, okay, I have an elephant that's under restraints. So I have a really good background for it. If the elephant looks uncomfortable and wants to come off restraints, um, as long as it's not life or death or anything like that, it's okay to take them off the train because I have such a solid foundation, they'll just come back. So is it better just to kind of try just let them off the strength and then when they're ready again, we continue it? Or is it better just to keep them on their strengths? What do you guys think? When when we train it on on really any age elephant, if it's if they're learning restraints for the first time, you know, the the I generally start with ropes you know, a rope touches the leg and we do all this, but the first time it kind of gets cinched up to the leg, you know, you'll sometimes see them kick around and, and pull on it and do whatever. I generally, you know, put a loose knot in it. And as soon as that foot goes flat on the ground, I take it off and, and, and start to let them associate that, you know, when I stop fighting, the ropes come off. Uh, two reasons. One, when they are fighting, you can't get them off very, very easily without jeopardizing someone's safety. But it, it really starts to instill a pretty clear message. And an elephant of any age understands that uh, four feet on the ground, the ropes come off. Uh, so if an elephant looks to be uncomfortable, you know, I guess it depends. I mean, I, I'm not a mind reader, so I don't know if that discomfort is because uh, of the restraints, which if I trained it well, it shouldn't be. If they're still learning um, the behavior, then I would, uh, you know, I'd, I'd ask myself some other questions before I made that decision. Is that, um, you know, do I've seen elephants get uncomfortable on restraints because other elephants are moving nearby and they 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 feel they're a little vulnerable, um, even though they're not in the same stall together. So, you know, a long answer to your question or a short answer, I'm sorry, to your question would be no, I wouldn't take them off. I'd kind of analyze what's going on and I try to do some things to redirect their energy um, and then maybe take them off. You know, if you wait for them to blow a gasket, you're not going to get the ropes off. It's not going to be safe for you or the elephant. It's not going to be very easy. Um, so you certainly want to get them off before that. But just because an elephant shows to be uncomfortable, there's so many factors to that. I wouldn't just run and take them off. I would try to redirect their energy, get them refocused, and then I'd take them off. Yeah, and I think you know the answer might be different. I you know I hesitate to to kind of give a blanket statement on this. I mean the answer might be completely different for a different elephant, even in the same facility. 
you know, the, you know your elephants and you know what's what makes them tick maybe, or, or why they might be uncomfortable in this certain situation, taking the restraints off might be the absolute right answer. And then taking the restraints off might be the absolute wrong answer. It all, it all depends. It's contextual, but I think that's the point. The point is it, the point is, uh, we shouldn't just assume it's, it's because of the restraints or the or removing the restraints becomes what they're after or, or a positive thing or whatever. It shouldn't be, it should be sort of neutral. And I think you, you kind of got to figure out what, you know, look at the situation from a little bit, I guess, further, further out, look at the big picture and see if, if the restraints are, are even part of it. So, you know, and that, and that's, we can talk about that in a lot of different scenarios, whether it's a, you know, we've also heard about, you know, well, we leave the shoot door open and they can leave if they want. And that's fine. That it's fine until it's not fine. Right. So I think it's all, it's all based in the context of the individual animal, the, the staff involved, the philosophy involved and, you know, what the elephant understands. Also, I think if that's what you, if that's how you trained it, or if there's some other way that you communicate with that animal, that that's part of the deal, then maybe that's, I don't know, maybe you, you, you created that situation that you have to do that because that's, that's how you've trained it. But on the other hand is, um, you know, if, if that's not part of the way you communicate with that animal, how you manage that animal, then it could be, you know, somewhat detrimental um, in the long run. It's just, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to have a blanket statement for this or, or, or a catch-all um, answer for all these different scenarios. So I, I think it's, it, it's different. So, I mean, so what I'm saying is also is that I'm not opposed to any answer or particularly for any answer. I think it's either one could be, you know, leaving them on or taking them off could be the right answer depending on the situation, the animal, all, a bunch of different other things. And I, if you save them every time, are you building that resiliency that you were referring to earlier? You know, the way that I've always trained it in the past is just, again, very slow steps, but for us, the rope comes off when they present their foot. So they present their foot to put it on and then they present their foot to take it off, right? So what we've done is obviously approximate all of that, but the animal learns pretty quick. If I want this thing to off, I, I put my foot up. So that's kind of how we've built that as well. Cause there's of course been times where they drop their foot, especially the first one, one or two times. And they're, you know, they, they, move their leg around like who knows if they're playing or hey it's get this thing off of me but they learn pretty quickly if it's get this thing off of me just put your foot back up and we'll take it off you know um and that kind of empowers them a little bit i think as well yeah and and you know that's a good point because if they do wiggle their foot or struggle their foot a little bit like i said as soon as it hits the ground we take it off 99 percent of the time we ask for a foot and we put them right back in it um and they do it immediately yeah, and you know, and it's funny because we keep we keep circling around this, like even the way we ask this question, is that the the restraints are somehow the crux of the of the of what we're worried about in this particular situation, or they're the end all to making it better or worse or whatever. And frankly, I don't think that's the case. I mean, I think normally they're if if trained properly, it's pretty neutral. I mean, I don't know how many times I've ever you know in my entire career that I've worked with an elephant and done anything with them, whether it would be po considered positive, negative, comfortable, uncomfortable, painful, whatever, where an elephant has just said, I got to get the hell out of here and run away. You know what I mean? So even if you were to take the restraints off, I don't see the elephant in most cases even going anywhere. So the restraints, again, being pretty neutral, they just be like, hey, I'm, I'm done. I mean, they could even move away from you and still have the restraints on. And again, I think the restraints should be sort of a non-entity in all this, it's certainly part of the equation. But if an elephant is not digging what's going on, I mean, they can still potentially 
move away depending on you know how the configuration of the tethers are but you know again i don't see an elephant just like taking off you put you know you take the tethers off and they run for the hills i just don't see that happening you know i love everything you guys said in that scenario um two things that are kind of outstanding for me is um you know you said about um redirection i mentioned that flat foot on the ground um you mentioned about you know putting their foot up so for me you know it does both things. If um, if an elephant knows that he has to have all four feet down, the elephant knows he has to put his foot up. Um, for us, uh, we ask for an ear presenter or lean in against the ball to allow us to put the restraints on. I think that's the choice the elephants also have. You know, the choice is not just necessarily I got to get out. Um, I know the position and the rules that I need to be in. I present this behavior. There's a chance those restraints come off. And a lot of times you don't have to come off because if they know that they there's a behavior they need to do in order to have a choice whether those strengths are going to be on or not, either they present their foot or they do a lean in or all four feet on, that in itself redirects the elephant. And whatever issue that you think they might have because, oh, no, I need these restraints off, if you feel that that is something that um, they need, um, just having that behavior, asking for their foot up, asking them, you know, or waiting for them to be calm or asking for to lean in. Uh, many of times that resets the elephant and whatever perception behavior you got from the elephants, um, that kind of melts away in that moment as well. Yeah, I mean, I just think that I agree with, I think we overblow the hell out of it. And I think we're even within this call or this, this chat that we're even sensitive about it. And because it's just, it, it gets such a bad stigma. And I think if you use the tool correctly, we shouldn't have anything to hide from it, you know? Um, and that's the crappy thing about the whole situation. And like, like I said, even within our industry, it's, it's soured, which is so fortunate because could you imagine telling people like, Hey, you can't restrain that dog, but you got to give it a shot. And you're chasing a dog around a yard or something, trying to give it a shot. People will tell you you're crazy. Even in crates or, or transport, like the, it's questioned everywhere. Like I, yeah. I, but, but the crazy part about it is, and I think why there's a sensitivity to it, I mean, we hear it a lot, you know, in, in different, you know, when we obviously in our classes and things that we do. And, and the, you know, the reason why I think there's a sensitivity around it, at least for me and my brain, is that because, you know, we can, we can vilify anything and we can disagree about methodology and things like that. But the, the, the trick about, you know, tethers and, and other restraint is that there's really no substitute for it. When you really need it, you need it. And we've all experienced the value of it and how there's been times where it was sort of the, the difference between success or failure in a medical case or something like that. And, and to just, and to, I guess, to worry that there are, there are you know, people out there maybe who just don't see the value of it and they won't have it available to them. We, we know what that, that can mean. I'm not saying it's gonna happen or, it's, or there's not other ways to do things, but there are certainly times where it is sort of the answer and it is sort of a, a such a valuable tool and to hear that that people may or may not consider it or wouldn't consider it because of a stigma is is i mean it's it's i don't know i guess it's for lack of a better term it's concerning to me that it's a a vital piece of or an important and valuable piece of management that's just kind of being you know the baby's being thrown out with the bathwater just because you know what i mean i think that's the that's the thing that i the reason why there's such an importance on it for me I think more and more people are becoming, you know, are accepting the, the use of restraints. But the problem is we still don't train. We don't see a lot of people training it until they need it. And we all know that's not the right way to go about it. 
you know, I think they just struggle so much with the idea that that they can do stuff, but they're going to need restraints. You can train anything. And, that, you know, I believe that. I think we can do 99% of everything we need to do um, off restraints, but that 1% could be life or death, you know, to train it, to train it early and to train it when you don't need it sure makes life easier for everybody. I think you hit the nail on the head is that, um, you know, um, all of us, you know, at times have found it an extremely useful tool and helped save some of the elephants we work with, um, or at least a, a tool that really contributed to it. Um, I believe you're really doing yourself and your team a disservice if you, like Brian said, um, just turn your back on it without serious consideration. Um, you know, I, I consider yourself very fortunate that you've um, been able to handle, if you're in a program, you've been able to handle everything and never needed that tool. I've heard many people say, it's a tool that's in our toolbox, but it's our last resort. But if you have your last resort, it's in your toolbox, but it might be on the, the third shelf down the bottom that doesn't see the light of day and never gets pulled out at all um, until really the last resort. And then you have to really ask yourself, are you setting yourselves up for both your staff who's not comfortable with it and the elephant's not comfortable? Is it really going to do its job and you're going to be successful for it? So I'm hoping that that's a take-home message, message is that um, you really have to have a, you know, a real hard thought process and realizing, am I doing the best for my elephants by ignoring this tool that has been um, used in many other facilities very well and has been very useful? Uh, so I hope people do have those long conversations, uh, thought processes you know, with their teams. Well, and the other thing is, is if, if somebody says it's their last resort or that's like, you know, it's not our first choice or whatever you want to say, if you all, if, if the team and the, and the humans on the team know that, then there's no question that the animals also know that. So when the time comes and you get to, you know, your, your last resort, you're, you're also communicating that to the, to the team, but, but the elephants know that too. And that's not necessarily a good thing for, you know, keeping things, you know, calm and um, stress-free and all those kinds of things. That's why we talk about it, uh, you know, so much about just layering it, layering it in to normal everyday management so that it is absolutely no big deal. And it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be your last resort. It, it you know, as far as the elephant's concerned, first, third, it doesn't matter. There's no cost. There's no increased stress. There's no cost to seeing or experiencing those restraints versus, uh, you know, trying to do it in another way a bunch of times until you can't. And then you have to go to DEF CON 5. And like I said, the animals know that as well as the people. It's so and funny. Everybody's sort of out of practice. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny that you put it that way because, you know, when we treated a young elephant last year, the year before for EHB, uh, really bad, really sick, almost died. She, um, she was two-ish. We could get blood on her. Uh, not awesome. We could get blood on her. We could get restraints. She took oral meds. She did all this stuff. Um, and after 16-ish so days of treatment, the only thing she still did good was go on restraints. She stopped taking oral meds. She wouldn't stand for blood draw. She wouldn't do all these things. But the only thing that she would do fairly well is to go on restraints. So it's crazy. Um, you know, the one thing we all think is horrible, we don't think it's horrible. One thing we hear that it's so horrible to do is the one thing that this elephant still did reliably. 
Yeah, I mean, we we hear it all the time. I mean, this, you know, stuff that you think, and it's certainly within the elephant business, you know, my comment earlier about sometimes we give them too much credit, sometimes we don't give them enough. I mean, we hear all the time about animals that are, you know, afraid of goofy things that you never think they would be afraid of, and who knows why, or who knows why they might react a certain way to something. But, uh, you know, again, it's it, restraints are not scary unless we make them scary. Lots of things aren't scary unless they have an experience with them. So, I mean, we shouldn't, we shouldn't start with the stigma on a tool like that, especially because it, it can be so benign and it is such a valuable thing to have at your disposal if and when you need it. You know, it's amazing. I had a similar situation. You said um, had an elephant that it had to go for some physical therapy and we used um, restraints and some different ropes to help lift her leg and help, um, you know, get some mobility in her joint. And um, we would do that um, several times a week and set up was really obvious what we're going to do. You have to walk in the RD, you see the ropes all over the place. Um, I can't imagine it was her favorite thing to do in the world. Um, but I'll tell you, this that animal did not miss one um, one session. And uh, to this day, I still it's it's amazing, you know, to look back at the, the foundation. I'm such a strong believer about everything you guys said. So it's like, why does this elephant still come in? Because we were offering a reinforcement, we were offering a food. She really wasn't that interested in the food, um, and and we had a relationship with her that you know she could easy choose not to come into that restraint it's amazing that even with that amount we all have stories like that that it still it amazes me after all those years you know it's like still 20 years in the business and this elephant learned something new that boy you're still coming in here and still going through this process and working with us there's ropes all over the place we're not surprising you but they still choose to participate and not just for the food because she wasn't interesting. It was really uh, amazing and how strong that foundation, that positive experience you can um, really change that animal's uh, life. Do you guys want to talk about like chemical restraint at all or, you know, shoot restraints, anything like that? I mean, because I know we're focused a lot on like the, the ropes, but um, do we want to talk about the other stuff? Yeah, I don't know. Um, chemical restraint. Um, I think too that when I was in my early days, um, the fact of using chemicals as a restraint was a scary prospect. Either we didn't necessarily think that we had a good enough grasp of them to utilize them effectively. It was in one way considered a, um, a cop-out. Oh, look, you had to resort to chemical because you couldn't have your elephants um, do any kind of um, physical restraint. Um, I think I, I'm hoping that perception has changed quite a bit. A lot of time we see in uh, multiple restraint mechanisms being used in the same elephant. Um, I, I've used both before. I've used um, restraints to help me administer chemical mobilization and also to <laughs> and also to reverse. You can uh, use some chemical mobilization on that dog. Yeah, if I had dart, be down. For years, I always felt. Um, I felt like if we had to resort to chemical mobilization that I failed as a, you know, as a trainer for the, for these elephants, um, you know, anytime you do chemical mobilization on anything, it's risky. So I certainly didn't want to do that to the elephants in my care. Um, and I, I mean, we've had a lot of very healthy discussion with the vets at our facility uh, every time we do it, because I'm, uh, I'm strongly against it. Mainly I think it's a, uh, 
it's an ego thing and it bruises my ego to think that I don't have the elephants trained well enough to, you know, where I have to use chemical mobilization. But, you know, with some of these young ones, we've got a pretty good method down now. And, uh, you know, our vets, we work really so well with our vets that uh, I'm more comfortable using it, but the vets also understand that it's not a first, a first, um, you know, the first thing they jump to, we try to train everything first. And if we can't, or multiple days of treatment um, affect training, then we'll definitely uh, resort to chemical mobilization. I mean, I think just like anything, there's a time and a place for it. And I think we need to be judicious about how we utilize that, whether it's standing sedation or full mobilization, whatever it is, just like just like anything, just like the shoot, just like tethers, just like whatever, or just like a lot of management tools. I think it's all kind of the same. There's a, there's a time and a place for it in your program. You just have to figure out what that is and just don't kind of wing it or don't use it because you don't have, because you're not prepared for something else. You know what I mean? I think there's, in a, in a well, a well thought out program, I think there's, you know, there's a plan for everything and then a contingency plan for everything. I just think another tool. jump to it too, too soon. You know, we don't need to train yeah. it. We'll just dope it. Right. Right. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. No, no. I was just going to say it, it, it is a tool in the toolbox. Right. I think I think because all of us have used it without a doubt. If you have a sick animal or you have a EHV or whatever. I know I've used it for sure. Um, and so it's there. But I also agree. I think it, there should be steps in that process. And for me, yeah, of course, training is always going to be part of that process higher on the list than the chemical immobilization or standing sedation or whatever you want to call it. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a tool that should be in the toolbox for sure. Um, but I also think it needs to fall in line where it needs to fall in line and not be the first option. basically. So with all that said, you know, I, I spoke a little bit how we train, you know, get into restraints and uh, talked a little bit about it. What do you, do you guys do anything different? to introducing them and do you prefer ropes, straps, chains, whips, handles? <laughs> so, well, I always use rope because it's just, it's softer, it's easier, especially when you're training it in the beginning. You can make it long, you can make it short, you can, you know, it, there's a lot of flexibility for me with rope. Um, there's also, again, if I'm not gonna step around the, the, the politics of it, it looks better. Um, so I prefer rope. Personally, I do use chain as well when you need something stronger. Um, we use straps in the ERD because, um, again, to be able to ratchet that up if you need it to be a little little tighter, that those are nice as well. But um, I, my favorite, if I had a favorite, would be rope for sure. I think for me, um, rope is number one choice as well. I think it's the most versatile. Um, you know, you you can tie rope almost on to to almost anything. You know, whether it's um, Horizontal, vertical, um, chain. You need, you know, chain catches. Um, you know, the the only really, it's it's cheaper than than chain, um, or it can be. I think that the one downside to ropes is something that your team needs to be practicing. Um, you know, you could do a knot, and, and you don't need to learn twenty knots. You know, you can have a pretty good rope restraint um, program with with two different types of knots that could be used in a, in a, in a few different scenarios. But I definitely prefer the, the rope. Um, I do agree with the straps, there's, there's less give, you know, um, as much as, you know, if you want zero movement, you know, uh, for, for a safety reason or for whatever, I think a strap is the potential of being a little bit um, um, less giving than rope. 
Uh, but I haven't run across too many situations where the movement in the rope really uh, was a make or break anything with that situation. Yeah, I don't have a ton of experience using straps. Um, we have some for the for the shoot, but we seem to go back to ropes. For me, if it's something that is going to be maybe uncomfortable and prolonged, I probably use a combination of them, ropes and chains, because uh, I can adjust a rope quicker. I can take slack out or give slack a lot quicker. Uh, but I also know that um, if it's something that's uncomfortable and there might be some resistance to it. I know that the chain is going to hold up better. Um, I've seen an elephant bite through a one inch rope, like in the blink of an eye uh, on a front leg rope. So it's probably a combination of them. I agree. I think the everyday thing is uh, ropes, get them used to ropes, get your team used to doing two knots. I agree with you that uh, you can probably almost get away with one knot. Um, but just knowing how to, how to tie the knot, being comfortable tying the knot. And I see a lot of people struggle with the orientation of it, whether you're tying it horizontal versus vertical. Um, even though it's the exact same thing, they just can't visualize it the same because they don't tie them all the time. That's my take. I, I think it's important uh, with the ropes too, this is kind of a side note, but it's for everybody to tie them the same. So we make everybody time to where the, the, the knot's on the right side um so then if there's an emergency situation or whatever everybody's used to tying the same yeah one or two knots the same way on the bollards or wherever it's at every time um because you never know who's going to have to tighten or loosen yeah that's a good point if the shit hits the fan and you need to get it off if you don't tie knots every day you don't have time to think about which way is loose or which way are tight that's a good point and i think they have all have their advantages um for different scenarios and, I, and i've used different methods for for training it when they're young or even when they're um, older. And I think, you know, what, the strategy that I've used in the past is just teaching them, well, one is it, it's in conjunction with other training. I mean, there's, a, there's also some do's and don'ts with restraints. I think one is you want to always use the most appropriate restraints you can. The last thing you want an elephant to do is break them because then they try again and they can hurt themselves. When you put the right one on the next time, they can hurt themselves trying to break it again. Um, but I think for me with little ones in the past, I used to just teach them to wear something on their, on their, on their wrist and then they can walk around with it and just to feel it. And then, you know, you, obviously if you, if you've trained them well to stand still, then you can add restraint in and they stand still and then they slowly learn what restraint is and, um, that sort of thing. And, and we all, we've also tried doing the whole thing. And Daryl talks about this a lot about, you know, making the, the ropes a game, um, but I think, you know, I don't think the elephants necessarily care which is which, um, unless you use them improperly, but I think ropes chain straps. I mean, once, once the elephants are used to having something on them and they understand what restraint is, I think they're all, for, as far as they're concerned, they're pretty much interchangeable, um, but they all have their place. And a lot, you know, sometimes we'll double them up too, you know, so you might have, you might need the chain for the strength, but the rope for the flexibility. So we'll put the chain and the rope on the same foot train the elephant for that. And now I have the flexibility to pull the rope up, but then the strength of the chain. So you mentioned you saw an elephant go through a one inch rope. Um, maybe we should talk a little bit about, um, you know, ropes, not just rope. There's different types of rope out there. There's um, different sizes, you know, what, what's, what is the right size? You know, what are some of the factors that we, that we have to pick about what type of rope? You know, there's different material ropes made in it. There's different designs of rope. 
uh, different sizes of roads. What are some of the things that we should be considering um, if we want to get, um, you know, what kind of rope to buy? When I first got into it, it was three strand manila rope and everybody had to know how to splice three strand rope. And it was fairly easy to splice, but it was uh, heavy. It, um, it, if it didn't dry out right, it would rot. It had an, a like a it was abrasive, so if it was an elephant fought it, it would uh, it would cut up its leg. And we tend now to go to like a Dacron rope. I used to use a one inch. I am more than comfortable with a five eighth or three quarter inch rope now for elephants because the the Dacron or polypropylene ropes are machine washable, so they're just easier, a little bit lighter. The pro the downside to them is. Uh, you need the exact fit per size of rope in order to splice or do whatever. I find it's just easier to get someone to do it for you. Thanks again for once again listening to Packy Chat. You know, I say it every time, but, you know, Packy Chat is not about agendas or anything like that. It's just a, a handful of guys getting together and talking about elephants and our passion for elephants. So we're not trying to push anything on anybody. Uh, we hope that anyone that listens has an open mind and you know, if you can take one or two things away from the stuff we talk about, great. Uh, if it spurs on uh, some conversation in the barn or makes you think about things differently or even reassures that what you're doing is right, uh, you know, that's all great. You know, we, I'll say it over and over, we love elephants and we love to talk about them. So that's what this is all about. So thanks so much for listening to us. And thanks as always for supporting us on Facebook or wherever you listen to your podcasts couple things. If you have other topics you want to hear us talk about, send us a, a message on Facebook or email us at packychatpodcasts at gmail.com. P-A-C-H-Y-C-H-A-T-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Uh, and we'll answer those emails uh, as soon as we can or give us ideas for future topics. And again, as I mentioned earlier on, uh, we are on Patreon now. Uh, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, uh, and look up Packy Chat. And all that is is a way to help support us. Uh, you know, I know times are tough for everybody, and we're certainly not looking to make a profit on Packy Chat, but uh, there are some expenses that go along with it. Microphones, uh, software, podcast space, all that thing costs money that we're paying for out of our pocket right now, which we're f happy to do. If you like us, like us enough to support us, that's great. You know what? And if now is not the time to provide any uh, financial support, we are so cool with that as well. Just uh, give us a like and share with your friends. That's good enough for us. Uh, as always, thanks so much for listening to us, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.